0: With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to TNTradio.live. You're with Bruce Torres and World Stage on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Exposing the tyrannies and exploring our power with deep dives into history, current events, dangerous trends and the nature of reality. Before I introduce my guest, I want to talk about uh, an article at Covert Action magazine back on no uh nope, I'm sorry. Uh, this is Alex Craner's Substack and he wrote the tw- this post is this article is the 21st century opium war. Like in the 19th century, the perpetrators are the bankers, but this time the target is the U.S. This is yet another story corroborating the idea that the U.S.A. is the central battlefield in the global total war, waged by the banking cabal against the whole rest of humanity. The clueless CNBC reported back in October, that the New York City Health Commissioner, Ashwin Vassan, announced that the city was suffering from an unprecedented crisis of overdose deaths. One New Yorker is dying from an overdose every three hours, Dr. Vassan warned New Yorkers. No one is spared, even if you think otherwise. If you use drugs, know someone who is using drugs, or might be around drug use, there are simple steps we can take. And there's a lot to unpack in Vassan's statement. Alex Craner writes at alexcraner.substack. And it is a very, very well-researched and a great summary of how basically the bankers are at the top of the food chain of mob, organized crime, and the drug trade. And it's that drug money sloshing through the global banks that is responsible for motivating our wars and so much human suffering. Alex Substack. the 21st century opium, opium war from October 1st, uh, this year, 2023. With me this hour is Jeremy Kuzmarov, managing editor of covertactionmagazine.com, and author of five books of U.S. foreign policy, including Obama's Unending Wars, Fronting the Foreign Policy of the Permanent Warfare State. The Russians are coming, again, the first Cold War as tragedy, the second as farce with John Marciano and the recently released Warmonger how clinton's maligned foreign policy launched the us trajectory from bush to to biden thank you very much for joining me again jeremy how are you
1: pretty good it's great to be with you
0: well thank you so much um, you know i'd like to start with if you wouldn't mind jeremy summarize your your career as a as a journalist and an author and then i really want you to roll up your sleeves and i really wanted to talk to you about your your new book warmonger how clinton's maligned foreign policy launched the u.s trajectory from bush to to biden and of course in any order you want uh all you might have to share with me today about the state of america and also this the state of the world so a little bit about you please
1: okay well i started uh i did a thesis on the drug uh, trade you know uh, and the vietnam war the the- uh, it was ultimately published into a book called the Myth of the Addicted Army Vietnam and the Modern War on Drugs." and i looked into uh you know part of that <coughs> excuse me i got a little cough <coughs> bout of cough here sorry uh yeah part of that study looked into the um uh, you know, uh, drug use among uh, Vietnam soldiers and how that was exa- uh, you know, sensationalized in the media. Uh, and, you know, the, this fear-mongering was crazy in the media uh, that fueled the war on drugs. But the book also looked at the uh, international war on drugs and some of its contradictions and how the CIA was supporting the drug traffic into Southeast Asia and into Vietnam, uh, and that that was provoking the you know, high supply rate of the drug that soldiers were using. Uh, so that was kind of my introduction of that research. And reading Alfred McCoy's pioneering study, The Politics of Heroin, CIA Complicity in the Global Drug Trade, was kind of like my awakening into the corruption of the CIA and U.S. foreign policy. And I you know, since have since done other investigation studies about the CIA, and that's kind of how I went. Well, I did a follow-up uh, study that was published with the University of Massachusetts Press in 2012 called Modernizing Repression, Police Training and Nation Building uh, in the American Century, and it looked at clandestine police training operations in the Cold War and how those were a front for CIA operations, uh, and I tracked the background of a lot of these police advisors. Uh, many had been in the OSS, and <clears throat> some had served under General Douglas MacArthur in the post-war occupation of Japan, where the U.S. had built had worked with the Japanese police and kind of, kind of pioneered some of the techniques throughout the Cold War to suppress the Japanese Communist Party and you know, to develop a kind of total surveillance apparatus using the police. Uh, <clears throat> so I guess I developed a kind of expertise in that, you know, the gray area of U.S. foreign policy, and ended up working for Covert Action Magazine, uh, where I can further you know, investigation into the CIA because uh, that the, the Covert Action Magazine was founded by a CIA whistleblower named Philip Agee, and its uh, main mission is to expose clandestine operations as well as provide critical analysis of, of U.S. foreign policy.
0: What would you say <laughs> are, are the major Purpose or two of the CIA's clandestine operations. What would you say are the major purposes, if if there is a major one or two or three?
1: Uh, well, one is uh, psychological warfare. I think uh, targeted largely against the American public, uh, because it was revealed that uh, you know in the seventy that the CIA had uh basically had on its payroll hundreds of journalists uh, uh in the most influential publications and that obviously continued in the present day. Uh and you know they're constantly trying to manipulate public opinion in support of US foreign policy objectives. And then yeah, if you go back to the beginning of the CIA they had close they were very, very closely affiliated with, you know, uh the Wall Street banker banking elite and the Rockefeller interests. Uh, and they really, and that's what Philip A. G. exposed in his book Inside the Company, how they were basically the strong arm of you know U.S. capitalist interests and capitalist elite who pursued this you know aggressive foreign policy and basically imperialistic foreign policy after World yeah. War II, whose main purpose was to open up. Uh, the world the world economy to U.S. Cap, you know, corporate interests and exploitation uh, of, of economies in the third world. So the CIA you know, was involved in so many different coups uh, and, and political uh, skullduggery, and even these police training program was usually designed to <coughs> root out leftist uh, <coughs> movements uh, whose aim was to establish more independent national control over their economy and challenge the corporate interests, or uphold you know right wing or dictatorial regime that served uh, the agenda of, of U.S. Uh, corporate interests, and that's what A. G uh, discussed in his book Inside the Company, and, and he was I think right on the mark about that. And you can trace that right up to the present day, uh, including you know the CIA. We know it's very active in Ukraine. They've been you know their goal is to try and pry Ukraine away from Russia. Isolate Russia, you know the potential rival uh geostrategic rival of the United States and also uh the you know pushing a regime change agenda within Russia you know groups like the National Endowment for Democracy is an adjunct of the CIA and they operate in many countries to try and stir unrest and promote like color revolutions against. Any kind of uh, you know, governments that uh, would challenge American interests in any way or a country like Russia under control of Vladimir Putin, who's more of an independent nationalist and is trying to you know, strengthen Russia. The U.S. wants a, a weakened Russia, so that's why they're trying to undermine Putin and using uh, the NED, which was a, an offshoot of the CIA founded in the 1980s
0: i give you i give you fair warning jeremy i'm going to invite you back soon and we'll just do a show about the cia because sure they're 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 their skullduggery the reality of what they are and what they've done is enormous beyond the imagination of of mainstream folks who just know what they know about the cia from the mainstream news to we who've done some research it's they're, they're a whole planet unto themselves be that as it may to approach your new book Warmonger, a couple things tell me what you know what caused you to write it and or interweave with that um, a little bit about what preceded Clinton's uh, presidency the CIA is a fine you know door into that topic in the 1980s what with former director George h.w. Bush as vice president so how do you want to set up or tell me you know what what was the impetus behind warmonger and then uh, let's let's talk about that book
1: sure yeah and, and it does relate to my uh, investigations in the CIA because I found you know Clinton had a very strong connection with the CIA <coughs> and was very likely recruited as a CIA asset. Well, according to Cord Meyer Jr., who's a very high-level CIA operative, who's even been connected uh, in some studies to the Kennedy assassination, uh, he got drunk once and admitted that Bill Clinton had been uh, recruited into the CIA when he was a student at Oxford, and that would actually make sense in light of a trip. What he was saying was that, Clinton had been funded by the CIA for a trip he took with his roommate, Strobe Talbot. You know, Strobe Talbot was, came from a skull and bones family whose, uh, his um, uncle, was his, uh, I can't remember, I think it's his grandfather's uncle, who was the Secretary of the Air Force, uh, and he came from a very wealthy family in Ohio, and he became the Russian editor at, uh, at Time Magazine, or head of the Russia desk, because he knew Russian uh and he was very clearly you know, a journalist uh, in the pay of the cia and young clinton and talbot and later he was a top state department official a figure uh, in clinton's administration he was basically uh, the point man for russia in clinton's administration and he was a key figure in the Russia Gate hoax uh very up till very recently so he's been very very active in shaping u.s russian policy uh, <coughs> And um, yeah, so the two. And I just want you know, I just rock- like to
0: highlight when when you you know, and I can't wait for more, when you drop a big rock like that, you know, into the into the cool water of of the conversation, Clinton, President Clinton, possibly very likely recruited into the CIA, that just that just blows people's minds. So c- just continue, please. Thank you, Jeremy.
1: Yeah, and, and that's an example of what you were saying before. People don't realize how important the CIA and how insidious it is. Because, and, and yeah, I'll bring it uh, to, to fully answer the question. Also, address my previous study on Obama, who also had a very strong connection with the CIA and you start to get a picture of how the cia manipulates you know the psychological warfare and basically controls uh american politics in many ways and ensures hmm. uh that it gets leaders who will uh, advance its interests and in clinton's case yeah, so he was on a trip with strobe talbot where they smuggled out the memoirs and nikita khrushchev uh and that you know uh was in the interest. yeah they went
0: to moscow law. they went to moscow right
1: Exactly, and that that was their mission, to smuggle out Khrushchev's memoir, because Khrushchev had denounced Stalin and you know, painted a very dark picture of, of the Soviet Union under Stalin, so that legitimated U.S. foreign policy in the Cold War and reinforced this narrative about how bad the Soviets were and how you know, righteous America was. And then, you know, flash four, well, firstly, I mean, you know, how does a guy, like Clinton, firstly, he never got his degree from Oxford, He was uh, accused of sexual assault. Uh, Now he went to Yale, and then he graduated, and then um, he was quickly promoted as a professor at the University of Arkansas. I mean, most people out of law school are not qualified to be uh, professors right away uh, in a pretty good law school. Uh, And then he's running for Congress uh, within a year or two, and he becomes the youngest Attorney General and the youngest governor in the state of Arkansas. And then he basically turns Arkansas, and this is really not known by most people, how he, when he was the governor, he basically turned his state into a playground for the CIA in the Contra uh, War. And, you know, there was a huge smug, uh, arm smuggling and drug smuggling operation run out of the western corner of the state in Mena, Arkansas, uh, where they were, you know, supplying the Contras or counter-revolutionaries. Uh, that were trying to overthrow the uh, socialist Sandinista government of Nicaragua after a revolution in 1979. And Congress ultimately cut off, cut off aid to the Contras. But the U.S. continued, the CIA was supplying them covertly, including mm-hmm. through uh, clandestine flights out of MENA. And Clinton blocked any investigations. Police like The police were on to this. And there was a huge amount of money laundering going on in Arkansas banks uh, and yep. huge violations of the law that was um, identified by law enforcement because there were huge uh, money deposits being made in excess of the limit. You know,
0: yeah, Jeremy, allow me to reintroduce you. Jeremy Kuzmarov, managing editor of Covert Action magazine, talking about the the background of his brand new book warmonger and now here is important information from tnt radio
2: tnt radio's joe hoff just a terrible situation there and biden was behind it pushing these arms pushing billions of dollars over there we don't know where that money went i'll bet you money i'll bet you a huge percent on went to, i bet you more than 50 percent didn't go to the uh, to the people or to the war uh, it went to people's pockets kind of like what we have in in uh, Palestine, uh, the U.S. since, since well, under Biden, uh, Trump shut this down, thank God. But under Biden, Obama, they started sending billions over to uh, that part of the world. These people are at, have been after Israel forever, and, and uh, supported by Iran, and billions of dollars going their way, and uh, to help them, uh, you know, basically. Uh, create chaos in the Middle East, terrorism, and and we saw what happened earlier this year, about a month ago. Uh, the two-in-one attack in Israel and the death and destruction, rape and kidnapping. More than 240 people kidnapped. Joe Hoft on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Radio works because of its ability to personalize to
0: the listener. What's exciting these days is that people are rediscovering it. You know, people are really rediscovering just how powerful radio is, how ubiquitous it is. It's in our cars, it's in our homes. There are so many new ways to access it. It's everywhere. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. It sounds pretty good. good. It sounds real, dude. not bad, bad, huh? This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And this is World Stage. I am Bruce Dutaris, happily talking with Jeremy Kuzmarov, Managing Director of CovertActionMagazine.com, and talking about when Bill Clinton was governor, Jeremy, and you were explaining how he uh, facilitated, if not oversaw, you know, drug smuggling and uh, arms uh, smuggling through Arkansas in the late 70s, early 19, you know, 1980s. I'll mention you know, a couple days ago on the 10th, you published on covert mag- covertactionmagazine.com. 19 years ago today, journalist Gary Webb was murdered after exposing CIA drug trafficking, which uh, encompasses the things we were just talking about. covertactionmagazine.com, December 10th, article about your article about journalist Gary Webb. Now, any way you want. Oh. I wanted to read this a little bit about your book, Warmonger, how Clinton's Malign foreign policy launched the U.S. trajectory from Bush II to, to Biden. No, I'll give you I'll give you that as your cue to uh, talk to me about your new book.
1: Okay, yeah, so, and to continue, and this, sets like the first few chapters go into Clinton's background and how he turned his state into a CIA proprietary uh, in the 80s, uh, and oversaw, and he was, you know, deeply uh, involved uh, in these operations. In fact, they brought a lot of the contras for clandestine training. They were even, you know, uh, they were spotted by residents that they were like guerrilla training, you know, training camps for the contras uh, in Arkansas. <laughs> and that, you know, sets the groundwork, you know, because Clinton, when he became president, I mean, this was a kind of historic time, I mean, you had the end of the Cold War, the collapse of the Soviet Union, and you had Robert, uh, figures like Robert S. McNamara, of you know, the establishment Vietnam War architect, saying, now's the time for a new peace dividend, because the Cold War has ended. We won the Cold War. Uh, you know, now we can invest in, in, in our country, in, in education, in, in science, in health care, in infrastructure. This is McNamara talking, you know, who's no <laughs> dove. And said, you know, there's and no I remember, I remember the uh, there,
0: there was there was lip service to that for for a, a little while, nearly in, in the early '90s. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, and there was momentum for that position, uh, you know, among a broad swath of the population. And then along comes Clinton to hoodwink liberals who they think he's one of them, you know, and really he ended up, uh, you know, basically revitalizing the warfare state uh, at the end of the cold war. And as I discussed, you know, key was that he was able to fr- frame that, Oh, that, Oh, we need to uh, intervene in countries for humanitarian reasons and to stop genocide. And, you know, key intervention with the Balkans uh, and the the conflict was like distorted to make it look like the Serbs were just the, uh, the, the only bad guy, you know, the black and white Serbs were the bad and, Milosevic, their leader, would present the new Hitler. But I mean, if you look into it, I mean, the Serb really had been trying to keep the Yugoslav Federation together and the US, uh, and some European countries have been supporting secessionists because they wanted to weaken you know, a strong Yugoslavia had been strong, independent, non line country in the Cold War and the US, you know, likes to control countries and they don't like you know and, and it had done very well economically. Uh, but you know, it uh, was not reliant in any way on the, the U.S. or open to exploitation by U.S. business. So the U.S. strategy, yeah, was to break it up, uh, and so they could, you know, divide and conquer basically. So they supported secessionist movement the Croats. And they were supporting Bosnian Muslim Muslims, and they even helped bring in Al Qaeda. Was you know the the media presented these Muslims as the the good in the war, and that you know the U S. is promoting a multicultural society, but the Muslim uh, leaders uh, actually had affiliation with Al Qaeda. And there was a network that was bringing in Al Qaeda to fight against the Serbs, and some uh, Bin Laden lieutenants were even uh, involved in the fighting. I believe two of the nine eleven or two of the alleged nine eleven hijackers. Uh, mm-hmm. So this was not exactly a moral force that the U.S. was was uh, bankrolling and supporting. And you know,
0: well the end uh, Al Qaeda, to to my knowledge or impression. Was and is very, very much either completely created and controlled and used by the CIA, or to a very large extent, or or big factions of them. What what can you tell me about that?
1: Uh, yeah, I think <laughs> that's true. I mean, they evolved out of the Mujahideen in the eighties, and that was a huge CIA operation in nineteen eighties in Afghanistan. And actually, I found evidence that uh, in some recent. Uh, investigations um, and people who really have done some deep research found evidence that Bin Laden had been trained in Australia by some CIA agents uh, during that period. You know uh, when they were fighting the Soviets uh, in Afghanistan. So, yeah, they had their origins uh, in league with the CIA, and I'm sure there were still a lot of connections. So the CIA may have been coordinating uh, these efforts to bring Al Qaeda uh, to fight. Uh, and do the dirty work of fighting the serbs who were hated because you know milosevic was a socialist and this was at the end of the cold war europe was turning away from socialism but milosevic was one of the last holdovers so they had to get rid of him and they ultimately after the war engineered a color revolution uh in serbia uh that was funded in part by the national endowment for democracy they staged huge protests uh and he was eventually ousted and then he was Uh, tried in the international criminal court, although many felt it was a Stalinist-style show show trial, and uh, you know, and that, I mean, a lot of the uh, the worst atrocities in the conflict had actually been committed by the Croats in an Operation Storm that was coordinated by U.S. military generals, some of them working for private military contractors, and the 90s was a key period in the privatization of Military operations and these new private military contractors sprung up. Uh, that, that hang on, hang on. Before before,
0: be, before we go down that hallway, uh, <laughs> tell me some more about how how much of the American uh, meddling caused the conflict in in Bosnia and Serbia that whole uh, in the nineties. How much was America's responsibility for that known in the nineties and when, if if it wasn't known then, when did it start to come out?
1: Um, well yeah, and related to the broad theme of the book, so yeah, this is a, a key episode where Clinton, you know, reframed military intervention, you know, his humanitarian intervention. And he, he he drew support from a lot of liberal sectors. Who had opposed the Vietnam War, but actually embraced this as a kind of moral crusade. And, you know, they played up the genocide angle and presented images of concentration camps that really uh, didn't actually exist. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, so I think they were very effective psychological warfare, and, you know, Clinton on the American public, and, and Clinton cultivated this image that he was kind of this matured 60s radical uh, when really he had been uh, in the CIA all along. Uh, so, uh, but you know, there were very few protests at all. And you know, the people who had been active in the anti-Vietnam War movement, a lot of them embraced this war. Uh, and there were no protests. And some of that was also because of the subcontracting. You know, they, the the Pentagon perfected waging wars was very limited. Uh, U.S. military personnel and very limited risk to any U.S. soldiers, because that's what ultimately engendered the opposition you know, in the Vietnam War, when so many U.S. soldiers mm-hmm. were dying or, or being uh, wounded. Uh, and yeah, a lot of it was kept secret. A lot of the dirty side of the war, like what we were discussing, to answer mm-hmm. your question, yeah, it was not really known at the time Like that the Muslims uh, had this connection with Al-Qaeda, and there were a lot of uh, Islamic fundamentalists, I mean, I'm sure you probably could have found the information, because the leader of the uh, Muslim, Bosnian Muslims was named Idzeb Bogovic, and, like, he had a background in, like, uh, ident- you know, supporting Nazism in World War II and writing these texts that were, like, promoting uh, Islamic fundamentalism and radicalism, and he had actually written some books with some really incendiary material in it. So, but, I mean, how many people, uh, I'm pretty sure the book was probably available, but uh, not many people were, were digging it out. You know, so I, and the media was really by this time, I think, totally bought over. I mean, in the Vietnam War, you had some critical reporting, but I think by the '80s, a very small number of journalists, uh, you know, uh, reporting critically, like Robert Parry, uh, was one. But uh, I think the '80s many uh, have marked as a kind of turning point where the media got totally taken over by the Pentagon and CIA so by the 90s it's just like most of the media is just pure like state department propaganda so i don't think many people knew really you know very much and and there wasn't much of a anti-war movement i mean there were some magazine like covert action magazine you know i went back, and I have a, uh, all the issues from the beginning of the magazine. And if you review, they had some really good and critical articles about the Balkan conflict in the 90s. Hmm. But, you know, that the readership, uh, unfortunately, is not that large of COVID-19 well, magazine. Uh, and,
0: yeah. I um, In your book, Warmonger, I'm, it sounds like the American uh, meddling... Slash destruction in Yugoslavia with that, with the Bosnian uh, Serbian war. That's a major pillar or, or point in your book. What are the others? Because uh, I, I do want definitely to, to get up front the, the case you're making for Clinton as a warmonger. So, w- how prominent is the Serbian war, and what are the other you know, hammer blow, major blows, you know, or, or accusation or, you know, evidence that, that you're presenting to make the case like this guy was a, a poser for the establishment of the military industrial complex slash intelligence.
1: Good, yeah, uh, excellent question. Yeah, so yeah, that's one key chapter. Uh, and again, that, that's a key pivot where he's really advancing a certain kind of rhetoric that we see later, uh, you know, used to support like the responsibility to protect Become codified mm. as doctrine, and we see that kind of rhetoric used to justify the bombing of Libya, you know, to pro- allegedly protect people against genocide and for you know humanitarian interventions, uh, Syria, uh, and a host of others. So that that's one key mm. turning point, and you know, a lot of the interventions were kind of small scale. So, and actually, the, the data showed that Clinton was involved in many more countries militarily, even than Reagan. Uh, and had you know, I don't know the, uh, the numbers off the top of my head, but it's like two times uh, U.S. forces were in two times the countries as Reagan under Clinton, and you know there this is what you this is before. what you've got
0: on um on Amazon the description of warmonger. Clinton bombed yeah. six countries by the end of his first term, had committed U.S. troops to 25 separate military operations all in his first term. Compared to seventeen in Ronald Reagan's two terms,
1: exactly. And they're a lot like in Africa. He developed this uh, this force, you know, is framed as peacekeeping, and that's this kind of Orwellian language, mm. Uh, mm. and it kind of hoodwinks the public into thinking, oh, we're sending troops to uphold peace in these countries. But then, when you look into it, they're not real. You know, they're sending troops to like Uganda, who's invading the Congo. And Rwanda, and, you know, Rwanda, they presented as, oh, the U.S. was a bystander to genocide and Clinton didn't do enough. But when I looked into it, and I did a lot of in-depth research on that, um, actually, that was one of the military interventions. The U.S. sent troops because they were trying to empower the the, the Tutsi-led Rwandan patriotic Front. You know, France had been supporting the Hutu-led uh, government uh, in Rwanda, and so it was like a modern-day version of the Great Game. And the UK and US were trying to empower Rwandan Patriotic Front, who's still in power. And then they provide, you know, special forces. After they consolidated the power to the huge bloodletting, uh, special forces were sent to Rwanda, and US intelligence. Assisted Rwanda and Uganda, as they invaded and plundered the Congo, and they instituted, you know, they they changed, they instituted regime change, they assassinated Congolese leader, uh, and they were looting the resources of the Congo and opening it up for Western uh, multinational corporations. So, so these are kind of interventions that they're packaged as peacekeeping, but U.S. troops are are, are on the ground and, and and U.S. intelligence is involved. Um, but there's very limited protests and the public doesn't really understand what's going on. And they think it's some kind of humanitarian mission. If, if some troops are over there uh, and you see that pattern in Africa, you know, in West Africa, there were troops uh, sent, sent in and they're trying to shore up certain governments. Uh, and a lot of time it's, just, you know, controlled natural resources. Uh, so um, during these so those, years,
0: during these yeah. years, Jeremy, um, from the start of clinton's presidency in 1993 when there was still discussion of the peace dividend the possibility of shrinking our huge military budgets and our presence around the world because the cold war was over because the soviet union collapsed i believe in 91. so during his two terms clinton's two terms these uh military actions did the budget shrink did our overseas presence shrink much, because obviously with 2001 and 9-11, you know, the lid came off and we've been off to the races ever since. So how what was the size of the, of the military, uh, the fluctuation, if much, of, you know, during Clinton's two terms?
1: Well, yeah, and my argument is that this set the groundwork, because like I have several chapters on the Middle East and how he used the pretext of fighting terrorism to significantly expand the U.S. military presence uh, in the Middle East and to bomb countries like Afghanistan. Those are among the countries bombed. Iraq, like Clinton repeatedly bombed Iraq and was trying to promote regime change in Iraq and was playing up the threat of WMD, even though the— uh, and he actually had his defense secretary make this great presentation about how Saddam was a threat when you know, the, the U.N. weapons inspection— had actually concluded otherwise, and Scott Ritter was a prominent dissident whistleblower uh, who was starting to speak out against that. Clinton Mm. and his his administration bombed Iraq repeatedly, they bombed Sudan, and they targeted this chemical, uh, well they claimed it was this uh, this plant that was manufacturing chemical weapons, but there was no evidence of that. And then people said that that it was actually manufacturing pharmaceuticals.
0: Right and i think that was around the time of his uh monica Lewinsky and uh impeachment and stuff like that it really seemed like a a wag the dog thing like hey look at this just change the story
1: with uh wow you know yeah exactly and then play up the threat of terrorism and yeah he bombed Af- afghanistan uh <coughs> chasing yeah. Laden. uh so and he he passed the uh there's a, a major uh law that was passed uh, a year after the Oklahoma City bombing that was an important Mm -hmm. precursor to the USA Patriot Act and Mm -hmm. and really undermining American civil liberties. And then, yeah, the Pentagon budget, yeah, there was some drop when he first came in, but then slowly the the Pentagon budget, the military budget built back up. And by the the end of his presidency, he was supporting uh, even more than what Congress uh, had asked, and and the military budget was... uh, not Really, getting very large, and of course, it would expand I, further. Uh, and and I remember,
0: and we'll talk. We'll talk about this after the uh, after the break in a minute. That anti-terrorism bill seemed to be come. Seemed to come off the shelf after Oklahoma City. I think much of it got passed, but we'll we'll pick up. Jeremy Kuzmarov is with me talking about his new book, Warmonger, about the reality of Mr. Clinton as president. And now here is important information from TNT Radio. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective.
2: I think we have a big problem globally with the perception that people have, especially with people who I think are quite intelligent, they're well-off, they're well-meaning, and yet they have bought into the whole man-made climate change scam. I was at a holiday party last night. And a lady that was there had a Tesla. And I have nothing against Tesla. So I was asking her, well, how long does it take you to charge the Tesla? She says, five hours. That's in her garage. And I said, well, what if you're traveling cross country? She says, I'll look up rapid charging station. I said, okay, okay. And how long does that take? A half hour. So let me get this straight. You have to plan your trip so that you will stop for a half hour at charging stations. You have to go look along the route. I mean, I travel across the United States all the time. It takes me three minutes to fill my tank for 400 miles, not a half hour to recharge it. and. What's interesting is it's tough enough to figure out which hotel to stay in as opposed to trying to find a charging station. But if you have a lot of money, that's fine. But things got sort of sticky at the end of the party to a point where my wife actually grabbed me and said, come on, let's go. When the lady said to me, well, I'm doing my part to stop CO2 from warming the atmosphere. Again, what bothers me is that she's very intelligent. I've had this encounter with a lot of intelligent people that they have actually been brainwashed. So we got a whole lot of work to do to try to at least get people to understand what's going on and to look at it. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog, meteorologist, Joe Bastardi, asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got.
0: She was reading at a second grade level in kindergarten.
1: Pod force swimming before she was seven.
0: Finally, convinced mom to get her ears pierced in the third grade.
1: Came in second at her fifth grade spelling B.
0: Drill team in the seventh.
1: And with one stroke of the keyboard,
0: one click of the mouse, it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Report a cyber tip today. This is World Stage with Brewster Torres on today's news talk, TNT Radio. Discussing with Jeremy Kuzmarov his new book, Warmonger, how Clinton's Malign foreign policy launched the US trajectory from Bush to, to Biden. And in addition to military, what else could we say about the, uh, Military, American's military under Clinton, and before talking about the other ramifications of his foreign policy, free trade, globalization, and things like that, Jeremy.
1: Well, and yeah, key chapters also deal with you know, the issue of NATO expansion and Russia, and that was, uh, uh, I think, it was, you know, we're seeing the consequences of that play out today uh, with the new Cold War, and that was entirely avoidable and actually George Kennan, you know, the grandfather of U.S. Uh, foreign policy and the containment strategy in the original Cold War, you know, war said. I mean, there had been an agreement with the Bush, uh, one administration, that had you know, promised Gorbachev that the U.S. wouldn't expand NATO. And then Clinton went ahead and expanded it to three countries bordering Russia. And he also helped wreck the Russian economy by pushing this uh you know, shock therapy and this, this massive privatization uh, uh, program that were very hastily uh, implemented and not implemented in a sound way. And that basically crashed the entire Russian economy, um, and that all paved the way for the rise of Vladimir Putin, the more nationalistic leader, uh, and he was trying to retake control over Russia's economy. And succeeded to some extent because uh, under the Clinton policies, yeah, it was under the privatization, U.S. corporations were starting to uh, gain control over uh, Russian natural resources and, and Russian oil, for example. Uh, so that kind of you know greedy policy just antagonized the Russians and, and and caused this pushback that has led us into the new Cold War. And then I also have chapter on Southeast Asia and China and you know I mean, he was supplying the uh weapons to to Indonesia as they uh were assaulting the people of East Timor and he also antagonized China you know he broke with the nixon policy uh he was really the first <coughs> to break with the nixon policy uh, of cooperation with China uh, and nixon started re- uh sorry clinton started really arming the taiwanese and antagonized china and he caused a major incident uh with China it nearly boiled over into into a war then and that has set the groundwork for what we see in the present, uh where the where the US uh administrations are trying to contain China and circle it militarily and no longer, you know, cooperating with China but threatening it and threatening a war uh and arming this, Taiwan and, to the teeth. So
0: And since you're mentioning, so you're mentioning form. China
1: uh, well,
0: finish your point, and then then I'll ask about you know globalization and free so that, trade that, and what that's, that's did to warm, our economy.
1: Yeah, and, and that's a warmonger who's threaten You know, who's basically creating uh, the environment for war to break out at any time, but arming uh, countries to teeth like Taiwan and and encircling uh, China and and threatening potential war, uh, as well as you know just extending military support to governments that are involved in wars or aggressive war uh, and, and the irony is that he's claiming, Oh, we have to intervene for humanitarian reasons uh, in, in in the Balkans. And yet he's willing to supply a, a murderous leader like Suharto. There's no mention of his human rights abuses and he's giving him all these advanced weapons to crush hmm. these Timorese. And then you have the same kind of story, of course, in the Middle East, you know, he's giving the Israelis, uh, these, He's ratcheting up the military aid, uh, you know, continued uh, human rights abuses in the occupied territory. And there's no mm-hmm. concern about that. And actually, he pioneered the extraordinary rendition, where you know, because he really, uh, you know, declared a war on terror before Bush did. And they were using a lot of the same methods that Bush, you know, just used more extensively, including extraordinary rendition, where they would kidnap terrorist suspects and you know, without proper due process uh, mm. and then take them to countries where it was known they would be tortured like and U, often u.s ally like hoden Mubarak's egypt was a favored destination and this is then a government that claims to be uh, upholding human rights and have to intervene in places uh for for, for to to save you know human rights it, it's just the, the the hypocrisy is unbelievable, and it's amazing that there was not more resistance and backlash to these kind of foreign policies, and more of a anti-war uh, movement. But it was really neutered uh, in that period, and, and very, very ineffectual and limited.
0: And it's consistent. It's consistent with the impression that after Kennedy in 1963, pretty much every president. Serves the military industrial complex, serves the interests of, you know, giant money to uh, foster these conflicts. Maybe, yeah, even, even Jimmy Carter, you know, what he, how he became under the thumb or maybe was always under the thumb of the trilateralists and Brzezinski and allowing what happened in um, Afghanistan. But I don't want to go back in time to that. I want to press forward with your account of Clinton in your new book Warmonger where he really just looks like a very very just another very you know, loyal servant of the military industrial complex and with 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 what you know can be accused of being a, a neocon is that more or less accurate
1: uh yeah that that's what i found yeah and i found he was just a, a very bad human being uh in fact uh al gore's mother when when he selected Al Gore a bit earlier, um, you know um, Al Gore and Al's Gore because Al Gore's father was in politics and he was a prominent senator, and so mm-hmm. his mother had been around politicians her whole life. And when Al brought Bill, and this was I think sometime you know, in the mid '80s when he was still the governor, he, he brought Bill to his mother, and his mother took him aside and said, said, I've been you know, Al, I've been around politicians my whole life." this is a bad man don't associate with them bill clinton yeah and you know he had this public image of this kind of gregarious figure and i mean he played the game of politics very well and we should give credit where credit's due i mean the guy can give a speech he's got a gregarious personality he's got the charisma he could speak to different audiences you know in arkansas he could speak at the town fair and he could, mm-hmm. uh, you know, endear himself uh, to just the the locals, uh, but you know, at, at the end, they came to see through him. With, like the head of the AFL CIO, you know, said uh, at one point, he said, "Yeah, Clinton, he'll pat pat you on the back and piss down your leg." So, I mean, you know, he would give the speech and sell a of good, but he would never fall through, except to the the corporate bigwigs in the state. You know, and the state is mm-hmm. kind of dominated by Walmart. By Tyson Chicken and by a Stevens mm. investment house uh, it's the mm. biggest investment house all outside of um, outside of wall street and they you know they gave Clinton a huge amount of money and ultimately his policy favored uh, those major corporations uh and he you know he talked a yeah. good game, but he never delivered for the and that 's the same you know as president he talked a good game. And uh, But, I mean, he didn't deliver. He delivered only for the you know the usual suspects, the Wall Street banks, the military yeah. industrial complex. And he hoodwinked the people. And, yeah, he set the groundwork for a lot of foreign policy disasters, like what we're seeing now in Ukraine. And I think people are recognizing more and more this is a disaster. It's another Vietnam-type situation. And Clinton set that groundwork with the NATO expansion. He also, I go into, I have a section on Ukraine where... He was, you know, uh, developed a strategy of trying to pry Ukraine away from Russia, turn the people of Ukraine against the Russians, and create a conflict But there's, there's no need for a conflict, and it's it's gotten to very dangerous levels now. And in the Middle East, yeah, he really set the groundwork for a disastrous war on terror uh, and a disastrous uh, military uh, uh, operations in Iraq, which he, he and you know I, I call him the relay runner in those chapters because. He took the mm-hmm. baton from Bush 1 and yeah. bombed Iraq yeah. extensively, right. and then he imposed sanctions, and he kept bombing, and he, he actually engineered a coup. Scott Ritter, in his memoir, called it Like a Bay of Pigs, because he, he supported these unsavory exiles, and ma- they mounted a coup in Saddam, put it down, and they all got executed, and it was a failure. Were those the, was that, that, were those that the
0: Kurds? Was that that Kurdish kind of rebellion?
1: Well, that was something else, but yeah, he, no, uh, yeah, he was also trying to manipulate the Kurds uh, and, and use them against Saddam. Um, but yeah, no, this was just a coup by some uh, anti-Saddam generals. Uh, but mm-hmm. they were, you know, they they didn't have a huge base of support. It's a familiar story where these are people who lived in exile or didn't have a base of support in Iraq or unsavory characters, and they launched a coup and it was a failure. Uh, mm. So, um, in your, in your there's um, huge, uh,
0: no, there's a huge uh, consequences in Iraq, and concerned. you're right. Remembering, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's 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 the same policy of regime change and bombing, and it's just, of course, taken to the next level after nine eleven. But the policy set in motion, uh, and you know, he starts those policies of bombing country like to go after Al Qaeda. He he started bombing Afghanistan uh and you know, it's like the idea of bombing a whole country to target a right. particular uh criminal group and yeah as you mentioned earlier in the program it happens to be that the CIA had created that group or or at least aided in its uh, formation and or, was, or uh, did
0: CIA or the or the CIA uh did with with any forces in other parts of the world horrible black ops and just blamed it on Al Qaeda or the media just blamed it out Al Qaeda so that we would ha- know that name like, Oh, the, those are the bad guys. So any, anything inflicted on another country, if it's to attack Al Qaeda, it's okay. Cause they're the bad guys.
1: Exactly. And so, yeah, it was Clinton's foreign policy that set all this in motion and gave this kind of liberal veneer uh, that helped bring on board a lot of the liberal sectors of American society. And it sounds like, and it sounds like in your
0: book, you know, you you've recounted here personal things about him that that reveal his character. Did you find, and in the book, is there anything about his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein?
1: I don't go too much into that, but I I do go in the Arkansas chapter. His character was clear in Arkansas, where he was connected with this guy named Dan Lasseter, who was kind of an, an Epstein type. That was one of his biggest donors, and he was a bond trader, uh, and he owned uh, a lot of businesses, including a major horse ranch that was thought to be a front for drug smuggling, and he was uh, thought to be linked with the Dixie Mafia, and Clinton's half-brother, Roger, worked with Dan Lasseter, and Lasseter would host these drug sex parties where they would have underage girls, and, you know, Clinton was in his glory uh, then. So, I mean, the kind of lifestyle he led that uh, you know, came out with his links with Epstein, he had long lived that lifestyle, and, and he had been involved in these parties uh, with Dan Lasseter, and they're huge, you know, sexual transgression. There's a book called The Clinton's War on Women by Robert Morrow and Roger Stone that has a lot of documentation, uh, and it's, you know, can be corro- it's corroborated how Clinton was not just a womanizer, but uh, a serial rapist, and he would bite the lips of women. Uh, that was his trademark. And then a lot of these women were threatened later when they came out uh, to try and speak out. They were intimidated. Some had their animals killed and placed on their porches. They were suspicious, you know, suicides. So uh, there's really a real dark, dark side of Clinton and if you talk to people, because I live in, in Tulsa, and I, which is right near the Arkansas border, and I did a lot of research in the Arkansas library and talked to whistleblowers, uh, and there's a reason the Clintons are so hated, uh, because the dark side is known among a lot of the people there, and there was, you know, really bad things he did to cover up. You know, there was like a mafia network involved with this MENA operation, and he was basically at the top of it, and he was, Covering it up, making sure that uh, the people mm-hmm. involved would not go to prison, uh, and so uh, you know, people know uh, they see they know who Clinton is, uh, and that's why they're hated, uh, and that helps explain I remember, the 2016 election.
0: Well, yeah, make your point about that. Yeah, it explains the Hillary's failure in 2016.
1: How so? Well, because yeah, and you know, people, uh, you know, and uh, the East Coast and stuff. You know, uh, you know, look down on people from states like Arkansas, uh, but uh, I mean, uh, the people have a lot of common sense, and they mm-hmm. they had good reason not to like the Clintons. Uh, so, you know, I, I
0: I'm I I have a lot that I even have in my book a little bit about uh, how odious they were known to be by 2016. And um, with my yeah. conversations with uh, Chris Milligan at Trine Day and many of his other authors, uh, well, let's let's stick to what's 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 in your book. In our in our handful of minutes left, Jeremy, what what have it what's in your book that we haven't touched upon yet? Warmonger.
1: <clears throat> I think yeah, we have covered quite a bit. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I just go into you know different regions of the world and how has foreign policies. Uh, yeah, we're often very destructive and set the groundwork, uh, for a lot of later, uh, disastrous policies. And yeah, I do go into that. It was an extreme, you know, as far as like advancing free trade and opening uh, countries to us business, I think, you know, without the Soviet union, with the collapse of, of the communist bloc, it just created this, uh, you know, I, I guess this arrogance and, the U.S. felt that they had the mission to go in and a mandate to go in every country in the world and manipulate the political system to their liking, and if necessary, intervene yeah. militarily. Um, and so that's very, consistent, I, I with, kind...
0: that's very consist- it's consistent with the United States uh, being captured by those who would be empire. The work of Anton Chaitkin, you know, the 200-year battle between Britain's desire to reconquer america or capture it to steer it for the purposes of empire and it's just it's so heinous because it's so anti-american it's just such an obstacle to the fulfillment of our our, our ideals and it's the true history that's vital to know and to see so that we could choose better as an electorate we could choose better and demand and only reward uh, better better candidates we've got a couple of minutes left jeremy kuzmarov what what are you working on now? What's what's uh, what's got what's in the new year for you?
1: Uh, well, I'm just working on a lot of different articles. Uh, I have one idea for a book, uh, because I've done uh, like a series at Covert action on political assassinations, uh, yeah. so the idea for my next book would be to uh, you know bring together a lot of this material, and you know the, the project would be roughly titled "Political Assassination as American as Apple Pie." uh because you know it's it's challenging yeah. the myth of american exceptionalism cuz i think your articles take, you yes
0: know, it's at covert action covert action com you great great articles on on many things but lately a couple on the assassinations of lincoln of jfk and the indictment against uh lbj and the kennedy assassination also a, a great article on pearl harbor and what seems what very likely what was known in Washington and how, how much of a surprise that attack may have been Jeremy, Jeremy Kuzmarov of CovertActionMagazine.com. Thank you very much for your time and for joining me once again to be continued. and this is TNT Radio.